Welcome to Friars and Film. We are three Catholic priests from the Order of Preachers, and we're here, as always, to talk about the movies. Well, today we are talking Zorba the Greek from 1964. Just going to be frank here. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing the director's name correctly. Um, Michael Kakoyanis. He's a Greek director. Um, stars Anthony Quinn. We've, this is like our third Anthony Quinn movie we've done, I think. We should chat a little bit about him just as an actor, maybe. Another guy, Alan Bates, who stars as the young man. Anthony Quinn is Zorba. And a host of other characters. This is apparently based on a novel came out about 20 years before the film. The novel was called The Life and Times of Alexis Zorba. This film has some big themes. I really want to get into a conversation about those themes. But before we do that, I feel like really almost just like injustice to this film. I feel like it. the first thing we have to do... Um, is pay a little bit of tribute to a more surface-level dimension to this film, which is just the, the tone of the film, the visuals. Just It's just such an unusual, quirky, weird film. On the, on the surface level, just like how it presents itself, its scenes, its music, its visuals, the way that it unfolds as, as a narration. Um, and so if, if you don't mind, I'd love to just begin there. I mean, it's, and so just to try to articulate a little bit about what, why it's so quirky, I mean, uh, well, number one, we're in black and white. I mean, that, that's just an interesting choice. I know there were a lot of black and white films in the 1960s, but there were also a lot of colored, colored films in the 1960s. And so it's just an interesting choice on the director to, to be in black and white. In addition to that, uh, yeah, I mean, the music right away. You have this, um, this really unusual movie soundtrack, track, which is uh, done by what is this this instrument? It's it's uh, it's a santuri. This is uh, this the sort of guitar-like Middle Eastern and Greek instrument that's used throughout the film, which kind of reminded me of the soundtrack of the Third Man, right? Where you have this very whimsical uh, sort of um, guitar music being played throughout the film. So it gives it this, again, this, this very whimsical character. It's very theatrical. Um, it, you have sort of these different groups of, charac of characters, you know, like the men, the monks, the women, um, and then these, uh, these other main characters playing the, the more leading roles. And each of those groups really is just presented as this kind of very kind of generic group. It's just like, okay, now what did the men say? Now what, okay, now how did the monks react? Um, and it's it's not so much a shortcoming of the film, it's just a very intentional director's choice to, to have a kind of theatrical, fable-like um, presentation. Yeah, so anyway, um, the, the way that I would try to maybe sum up this this kind of unusual presentation in the film is that it's funny and serious at the same time. It's it's dealing with big themes, but has a very a very um, comical presentation to it. Um, 
do either of you have any thoughts you want to share about about the uh, just just how it struck you on this again just on this aesthetic surface level? I think compared to most black and white films, it was incredibly easy to watch. You know, there's a, in the in the world of beer, there's a thing called a session IPA. Father Allen, you aware of this? You could have a full session. I don't think so. Yeah, drinkability, just one after another. I think that even after coming to appreciate many films in the, of you know older era, black and white for me is still. I don't no, know. No, you're, it, you're a black and white hater. I've I've realized this. Yeah. Well, I'm. I'm boy, that's a real strong. shortcoming on your part. Boy, that's strong. It's it's there's there's a half truth involved, um, but there have been others. Like I, I look back and there's some black and white films that immediately draw me in. I love the one we watched on the Gospel of Matthew by Pasolini. I think Dolce Vita drew me in. I think um, Andre Rublev. There there have been some times, and this is one of those where I mean, even this this is more on the lighter side. It drew me. It reminded me. I mean, it's nothing in the end. Like um, Roman Holiday which is just fun but it but it had that quality i mean from the beginning you have this he's at a train station you have this character you don't know whether to trust him um then they take the boat ride i mean the, the even the mountains plunging into the sea in crete the woman yelling american and then um like all the kids coming out to yell i mean it was just through and through, this movie was surprisingly very easy to watch. I mean, as obviously with the widow's death, it it shifts between like fun and then suddenly not fun. Um, I think it was just so watchable and surprisingly watchable for myself. I would I would also say a first impression of Zorba himself not not so much Zorba, but Anthony Quinn. First, I didn't I didn't remember where I had seen him before. I remember I. The Shoes of the Fisherman, he's in that movie where he he's like an Eastern European priest behind the communist bloc who becomes elected pope. Um, that's, that's, that's an interesting film. But um, I had seen him in that. You had mentioned we saw him in other films. What he, he was in the Fellini film about the girl in the circus. Oh, right. Um, he was in Lawrence of Arabia. He was in Lawrence of Arabia. I yeah. think he's the warlord, if my yeah, memory that's right. serves. That's right. And he also plays, I, I looked up too, is he, he plays um, Old Man in the Sea. He did a Hemingway oh film. Okay. He's, he's, he's been like Attila the Hun. He's, he's done a whole variety of things. But this, this is funny. I mean, the first thing I, I thought about when he appeared on screen in that train station was this guy definitely smokes cigarettes. Because <laughs> his his voice is a cigarette voice, and then I looked it up in all of his portraits online. He's like smoking a cigarette. I was like, "We have a smoker here." It's very clear. But I think that actually makes him play into the role of Zorba well. He's kind of this vagabond with some skills, etc. So, I mean, we should discuss his character. But as a film, as an aesthetic, I thought it was I thought it was really engaging. I, I like this movie a lot in terms of just sitting down and watching it and make it makes you want to keep watching. That's that that is a great just uh, overall take. Yes, it's it's extremely engaging, Father Allen. Okay, so my opening remarks are that this movie is a celebration and a recommendation of Mediterranean life, at least you know a certain take on Mediterranean life, specifically Greek life, and you know over against. Anglo stuff. Also, the Zorba character, I think, is so recognizable. 
as a typical figure from Mediterranean life. And what is the character? It's this ebullient kind of opportunist, uh, whimsical, so that when he's disappointing you, he's also winning you back. The acting I thought was great. And this character was both, you know, contrary. And he's mercurial. He's always trying to like dodge your categorization of him. He's saying things that are contrary to whatever was last said, even if he himself had said it. But he's also a recognizable figure. So even as he's surprising you, you're saying, oh, yes, <laughs> I've seen this before. I actually have a question about that because Zorba, what other characters are there that are like him? I, I recognize this kind of character, but I'm struggling to name name others. Let's put our heads together. Yeah, this is a good question. Because he's this mixture of like a good heart but an unstable life. Yeah, I mean, he's a bit of a uh, sidekick, right? He's a, I don't know if the word factotum is, is the right word here, but this kind of sidekick who... Um, Almost like a Jack is, Jack Falstaff, Henry IV, you know, a drinker, yeah, but maybe. a comedian. But he's a little rougher than Falstaff. Falstaff has more Chesterton in him. I mean, he's, yeah, he's yeah, I mean, he's supporting this guy, but he's also leading him. Yeah, I can think of DiCaprio and Blood Diamond. You know, he's like, he's like kind of out for profit, but he's... I mean, the big way to maybe think of him is just as, you know, the exact foil to the Alan Bates character, you know, who is the the, intellectu- the young intellectual, uh, you know, so... Um, I mean, this is a maybe a bit of an oversimplification, but then again, maybe the movie is a little bit oversimplistic. Um, so, you know, Alan Bates, you know, is like all mind, right? And uh, this guy is supposed to maybe be all heart, right? It's just like, okay, what, what are your instincts and how do you navigate life based on those instincts instead of getting into big questions of the mind? Um, this guy just kind of does what he, what he does, which is maybe a good segue to the bigger question, which is, uh, yeah, I mean, another way to put the, um, your question about Anthony Quinn, Father Allen, is, is to say, um, what's what's the anthropology of the movie Zorba the Greek, right? What is the understanding of human nature that it's it seems to be espousing and um, promoting? Um, I think it's safe to say that that's, in a sense, the same question as asking, who is Zorba? Because I think, yeah, the film overall is presenting Zorba as not necessarily a role model, but someone who has something to teach us. And the climax of the film is him indeed teaching um, the young man to dance, right? And I think the that's the suggestion there is that, yeah, there's, there's, some, there's some wisdom that Zorba has, which other people like the young man may not have. And, um, and so the question is, you know, well, yeah, what, what is that? I, and I, I guess I already kind of touched on this, but yeah, um, he's a man who relies on his instincts. He is all about emotion and heart over the philosophical mind that, that the young man embodies, right? He's always writing and thinking, and um, Zorba seems to suggest that, no, look out. You don't want to overthink things. Um, he literally says that you have to have a little bit of crazy in you to navigate life, right? Um, don't think about stuff. Just, 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 <laughs> um, just have a little bit of craziness. 
which he's also a man of action, right? So like there's the scene where, where with that, that, that horrific moment when the woman is being stoned and um, she's about to die and, and who, who fixes the issue? Um, Zorba does, right? He, he comes in and takes her. Now it doesn't, it doesn't work out in the end, but he is initially the only one who's willing to take that, make that action um, happen. You know, you can think of Zorba kind of going against convention and culture, right? So, like, he's he's sort of separated from the other men of the village and the other women. He doesn't follow their conventions. He's not interested in going to church. So he's both um, removed from cultural norms um, as well as as well as um, as uh, religion, right? And he's he's not interested in um, in burying the woman, right? He just he's kind of outside of con- human convention, whether it's a secular convention or a religious convention. All of which is to say that yeah, it's it's kind of uh, I don't know. Would it be fair to sit, call him a, kind of like a Rousseauian take on? On, on human nature, where it's the idea that in order to be properly human, you need to c- take away all the conventions and um, philosophizing that has supposedly corrupted man. What do, what do you all think? Well, I have a pretty extensive take on this philosophically. Oh, oh good. So I don't want to... Um, Buckle up, I don't everybody. Wanna, you know... <laughs> stop the momentum here so no, uh, but i do think at, at some point in the podcast we should make a space of about five minutes for me to uh lay out my theory of this film <laughs> i think you're stepping into that space and creating it right now well if you say so okay so let me just let me just get this out quickly yeah as i say maybe about five minutes so if you want to fast forward at this point um just a quick observation so th- there's an image in the film, the uh, the blueprints of this of Zorba's contraption, you know, the thing to move the trees down the mountain. From let's Over just say two, which which is at least funny, stealing them from the he leaps the Orthodox monastery wall. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, I think he he convinces them that there's some kind of miracle or right. you know supernatural thing. So anyway, yeah, so there's the, there's the image of this machine. And if you look at it over his bed, it, it reminds you of a, a famous Greek Orthodox icon, namely the Ladder of Divine Ascent from the 12th century. If I, could, if I describe it, you might remember it. Uh, it's, it's a ladder, and there's a bunch of Christians going up the ladder, and there are demons shooting arrows at the people going up. And some of them are falling off, and the demons are pulling them down, and that's and right. uh, anyway, this is yeah. famous 12th century icon, which is happens to be Greek Orthodox. So I think, you know, th- there's a long shot that this is an intentional reference. And then there's an actual shot in the film later of the actual uh, structure. And that, too, looks like the icon. You know, so you ask yourself, well, what's the relation of this movie to this icon? Well, you probably can't get much more Orthodox uh, than that icon. You know, life is just about going to heaven, avoiding demons. You know, there's no sense of, like, moving sideways in this mercurial, unconventional way, like you were saying, Father Luke. And then I noticed, too, that I don't know if it's in the film, but in the in the novel, the British man is reading the, the Divine Comedy when he encounters Zorba. So when he's waiting, you know... He's called away from his book by Zorba's, you know, 
solicitations. So, and that's kind of a Western, again, a classical image of what human life is about. It's about going from hell through purgatory to heaven. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Zorba, I think, is somehow like a, wants to parody, parody this uh, paradigm. And like we said, you know, he's he's just unconventional in every way. He's, you know, kind of superficially pious, but, uh, you know, doesn't really. I think he even describes prayer once as knocking at a door that, of a deaf man. Uh, you might want to check me on that, but I think that's the import of it. So anyway, and this is the main point I want to make. Uh, so the, the novel is from 46. Four years before that book is a famous book by... Albert Camus uh, in 42, French existentialist on Sisyphus. Okay, so this is a kind of interpretation of the meaning of Sisyphus, who in ancient Greek mythology is condemned to push a boulder up a mountain and then have it roll down. And this is his futile project for all eternity. Okay, and you can see the similarities with Zorba's project of getting the trees down the mountain. And Camus puts forward an interpretation of Sisyphus that is supposed to be a remedy for the despair of modern nihilism. His, that book is basically addressing the problem or the question, why shouldn't I just commit suicide if life is meaningless? Because you're entering a postmodern phase of thought and, and people are wondering this. And, you know, Jacques and Ray Samaritan famously in mid-century uh, make a suicide pact as young people, uh, but then they convert to Catholicism. They find Christ, and that's what saves them from suicide. But anyway, Camus has an alternative uh, remedy, and that is that somehow you, you you learn to glory or to enjoy the futility. You come to kind of enjoy just the absurdity of everything instead of letting it get you down. Okay, and so his famous line is, we have to imagine Sisyphus happy, okay, in the midst of his futile, you know, his eternal futility, he, he, he just kind of laughs it off, all right? And then, you know, Zorba kind of echoes this sentiment when he's, for a brief moment, agonizing about death, and then the poet says, well... You know, I have all these books, and there are other people that are agonizing about death, too, and this is some kind of solace. And then Zorba immediately says, I spit on their agony. So this is, um, this is like Camus or Sisyphus spitting on the agony of the philosophers, like the, the despair in the face of the meaninglessness. And what you have to do instead is laugh it off and live in the moment and just, you know, be, to summon the courage to be. And I think that, you know, uh, embrace madness, okay? Embrace, embrace the joy of madness. I think that this is um, in contrast with another disposition, namely uh, the attitude of the mother in the tree of life. You know, her response to the darkness of life, to remember the goodness of being and to, to rest uh, in that goodness, you know, knowing that, it has a, a, an unassailable solidity. Um, and so I, I, I would just like to propose that contrast. I think that, that um, you know, the mother's disposition is a healthier way to, to face the darkness. 
And I think, you know, Zorba, it, you know, today would be, or we can see Zorba in, uh, I don't know, certain slogans like YOLO, you only live once, uh, eat, pray, love, maybe live, laugh, love, these kind of things where it's like, you know, just enjoy the food on your plate, just enjoy the dance, just enjoy whatever it takes your fancy. And I think it's ultimately destructive. So this is my final thing. Um, would the Anglo and would the widow have ended uh, the way that they did without Zorba? Because you can imagine the Anglo going to the, the island, as he was going to do anyway, maybe meeting the widow, maybe eventually approaching her in a way that he was accustomed to that was a little more conventional, and them, you know, getting married and, and living a happy life. Instead, he sort of rushed into approaching her, you know, kind of inspired by the spontaneity of Zorba to go over to her house. And, uh, you know, she, and she knows that this is an ominous first meeting or, you know, encounter. And, uh, and then she's ultimately killed for it. I mean, you know, not to blame her or blame him for... Uh, the overreaction of the people. But, um, you know, I think you can see that Zorba is, is an agent of chaos. And even if, you know, it's, it's kind of like alcohol, like if you, if you drink too much, um, you get into, uh, irrational situations, but because you're sedated, you don't really feel the, you know, the badness of it. Uh, this is my sort of overall take on, on Zorba. Well, Zorba, the Greek's not the only one who did a dance. You just danced for us with your mind. <laughs> that, uh, well, <laughs> that's a really good take. No, thank you. That That's uh, cool. Um, so wait, so just to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm understanding this correctly, your sense of the log machine being a little bit of a evoking of that icon, which is to say um, evoking kind of like a negative reverse, you know, um, image of a conventional one of like, okay, here's how you get to heaven um, by either through conventional religion on the one hand um, or something like that, or, um, or the conventional Greek myth of the guy pushing the, the thing up the, up the mountain um, this movie is instead taking the, the line of Camus, who says, hey, there's nothing wrong with being Sisyphus and um, the absurdity of that situation. And number two, conventional religion is not going to get you there. You just got to um, side with someone like Zorba, who um, just kind of embraces the madness. Um, yeah, and, and that all that all totally squares away. Um, I guess I would also then follow that up with by saying that, uh, yeah, we, as the good Dominicans that we are, we have sided with um, the uh, the young man, the intellectual. We um, <laughs> we don't we don't well, follow okay. him. Well, we don't follow him to dancing on the beach with Zorba, but we we, we we would be there at his side, telling him, "Hey, no, continue to study, continue the life of the mind, think about life rationally, but maybe just back up a little bit on all of those modern." Um, philosophers who are helping you to feel despair at your, your at your human predicament instead go back to some good and true philosophy which will actually give you some good answers to these big questions yeah there's madness in the perennial philosophy in uh 
in Plato and Aristotle and, and Aquinas and Christianity too, but it's it's informed, animated by reason. You know, like Logos is not a dead letter. Logos is is the eternal living word of God. Um, and I would just say, yeah, there, there's a kind of false dichotomy because it sets it up as Anglo versus Med, Mediterranean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Greek specifically. And, you know, a Catholic would say, well, there has to be some kind of synthesis of these two, Thank you know, you. because, yeah, Anglo culture can be stayed and dead, but you can't just swing wildly to the other side either. Uh, there has mm-hmm. to be some kind of synthesis. There you go. I think good things have been said, um, and I know that there is, you know, an historic connection between the author of Zorba and Camus. Um, I do think we've spiraled a bit into the realm of ideas instead of film, and I don't think it's wrong, but I just, for my own final comments, um, I go back to the cinematic presentation, like, all right, I gave two hours and 20 minutes of my life to this. And, you know, there are a lot of similarities to a Western. Because Zorba, you, you do find similar characters outside of a European Mediterranean context. The, the cowboy, and Zorba's, I think the integrity of his character is he is different. He doesn't exactly fit that mold. But there is something about the cowboy who's off on his own, job after job, visits a woman here or there. And it's this question of, is he virtuous or not, you know? Um, and it's also, they both take place in beautiful settings, you know, the Greek setting versus the American West. And I, I do think, uh, I mean, these films are coming out at a similar time, right? In terms of cinema, the, the, the Western is, is booming at the time of this film. So it is, it is somewhat also like a similar but different version of that male traveling rogue figure. Who's not? Who's who's hard to assess in the end? I mean, it's a little more existentialist and European, but I think the American cowboys as well. I think I think these are still part of the same conversation. The second thing I would add is is, is I, you know, did any of you see the Banshees of Inishirin, that Irish film that came out last year? Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I thought it was okay. I was confused by it. There was the random violence of the guy. You know, I mean, it's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous setting. I don't think, but he starts to chop off his fingers out of like a grudge with his neighbor. I was talking to our fellow Irish Dominican, Colum Mannion, and he was saying, you know, American audiences don't understand that perfectly. Like, oh, it's artistic and Irish and strangely violent. But he was saying that um, it's becoming common in Dublin for these city dwellers and these artists and these directors to kind of make fun of the country dwellers. And I do see a similar trope here is that, you know, you you see the quirks of rural Mediterranean Cretans. And, like, even take, like, the hotel owner, like Madame Hortense, it's like, it's lovely, like, she's doing this dance, you know, she's hosting these two guys at her little hostel, and she's going to, like, do a dinner dance for them. But at the same time, when she dies, the villagers quickly turn and just rob her. They ransack the hotel. Like, there, there's a lot of this... Uh, quirks covering over basically an, an uncivilized and unpredictable people. And I, and I do see that as well as a theme, sort of like these urban artists being delighted by and deeply suspicious of these rural communities. 
and trying to show like their quirks and also their uh, turning into a mob in certain ways. So I, I just mean that in terms of when I watch this movie, I get similar Western vibes, like cowboy Western, and I also get similar sort of urban rural commentary, which I think are also present in addition to what we've said, not contrary. Yeah. That's a good point. And then regarding that last one, um, that second point, uh, yeah, I mean, Zorba is kind of like the the um, essential kind of like liberal metropolitan figure, right? In the sense that he's standing outside of cultures that do have very robust sort of rules and laws about what is okay, what is acceptable, how do we engage with each other. And so he's always sort of presented over, over and against those. And so he's kind of, yeah, he's kind of like our representative as the as members of a, of a liberal secular uh, society that we live in looking at, yeah, these, these rural and therefore more culturally um, rigorous um, cultures. And that's, that's part of, you know, Father Allen, I, I like the question, you know, would things have turned out the same on the island without Zorba? Who, it's, it's a good, but the situation is also kind of bound. It's like, here's this Westerner who comes into this little village. There's one beautiful widow She's the only beautiful woman in the whole film. Well, subjectively, not objectively, everyone's beautiful. And, you, you, I mean, that, that's kind of how the plot works, though, right? It's not just Zorba's influence. It's also, like, how would a Westerner come into this little tiny village where everyone's, they're like bees circling a flower. They're all drooling over this one eligible young woman. And it's just kind of like the circumstances are, like, the stage is set for conflict, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think Zorba adds a catalyst, a catalytic. Mm-hmm. He definitely contributes some to chaos, even if he seems to have some virtues. But it, I, I, I like, I mean, I've said this before, but I like the realism of a mixed plot. I don't, I don't, I don't think at the end I'm going to say, oh, Zorba's a great guy or, or a total villain on the, on the side of, always on the side of chaos. I think that's why he's a good character is he's conflicting. I think it's... Artists love these kind of characters, like, and that's why people because well, they are, they are often yeah. this character themselves, right? Is a good point. Um, yeah, you go. I'll just it. say it's true about the the Banshees of Inisherin, if that's the name, and both of the, these movies kind of convey how pre modern cultures, small societies, can be suffocating. The Irish one, the sister, you know, the young eligible sister leaves the island. So you definitely get that message, and that, of course, is something you know that intellectuals and would be concerned about. But also, you see perhaps the shortcomings of the metropolitans, you know, who are maybe oversimplifying their perception of of a rural culture, you know, that that has set ways of doing things. Before we do wrap up, I just want to echo what Father Allen mentioned, number one, about uh, the Tree of Life. I also was thinking about <laughs> contrasting this movie. This is maybe the first time in podcast uh, history that Zorba the Greek and Tree of Life have been linked. But we did just see Tree of Life, and so we were all thinking about that. And I agree. Um, you know, Another way to think about the difference between the two is that, um, yeah, Tree of Life, the big question is about suffering. How do we deal with suffering? And um, Zorba the Greek is also about suffering. You know, you have the business failure, Bubalina's regrets, the raiding of her house, the killing of the widow. And the question is, okay, how do you, de- how do you deal with it? 
And yeah, Tree of Life says, uh, well, you're not seeing the big picture and grace is at work and all will be well in the end. And uh, Zorba the Greek just says, uh, you know, as um, was that pop singer, Lady Gaga, she said the same thing, just dance. Right, um, which is really uh, wow. What not a, a not a satisfying. What a finale right. comment. What a fireworks. Right. Tree show. of Life plus Zorba the Greek plus Lady Gaga. Um, the last thing I did want to say though is just, and this has to be said. Okay, um, the dance on the beach is the most famous scene of the movie. It's what it's often remembered for. Um, are you both aware of the backstory of that dance? No, no. Okay. You got to know this. So. It's, it's, it's remarkable. So, um, well, first of all, to preface this by saying that that dance not only is remembered in the movie, but still performed as a thing. Like it became a dance that had never been done before, which became known as a sirtaki, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Okay. But the way that this dance even came about in the movie and then remembered for <laughs> for all posterity is, th- is, the, is this, which is that apparently... They were going to do a more traditional kind of Greek dance, but the day before they filmed it, Quinn, Anthony Quinn broke his foot, and he was not going to be able to kind of hop around the way that the traditional dance required. And so he just on the spot came up with this improvised other style of dance, which involved him sliding his foot instead of hopping on it. And he just like created this dance out of thin air people saw him do it and were like that is phenomenal like where did you learn that and he then pulled the name out of thin air and said uh it's it's um uh, a sirtaki it's it's traditional one of the villagers taught it to me and like so and i just love that little anecdote because i mean <laughs> you, you you almost see how like i guess maybe like anthony quinn is himself like a zorba the greek kind of character <laughs> where he just is willing yeah, to just kind of like create out of thin air and there's yeah, maybe maybe it's not the greatest dance in the world. You could maybe mock it, you know, for 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 not being technically proficient or something or impressive, but it has its own winning charm and it will be remembered forever. That's like a Harrison Ford move there. Raiders of the Lost Ark just pulls out a pistol, shoots a guy <laughs> with a sword because he was sick that day. Yeah. Any other th- closing thoughts? Great film, um, entertaining. That film should be entertaining as much as thoughtful. That is that is agreed. It's worth watching. I love it, even despite the shortcomings um, of its ideology, in my humble opinion. Father Allen, I think you're leading the next one. Barry Manilow. Yeah. <laughs> Barry Lyndon. Barry Lyndon. It's uh, Stanley Kubrick, 1975. 